This episode of Making Games is Fun is with Ho Yi Lee. Ho Yi is a producer at Mediatonic who has just got there, and this is their first game ever that they're going to release. It's called, well, it's out now, actually. At the time of us recording the actual interview, it was due to be out, but now it is out. Uh, Murder by Numbers, you might have heard of it. It looks really cool. Um, we talk about how it feels to be, at the time of recording, on the cusp of releasing a video game. We also chat about extracurricular activities, such as Hoey's contributions to the upcoming Animal Crossing podcast called Ass Town. Very, very current at the moment. Uh, the name is explained during the interview. Uh, we also talk about growing up with social gaming and arcades and that sort of thing, like when we were kids and the arcades were still a thing. We also get into Ho Yi's route into the industry and how difficult it was to find a way in, as well as explore the ever-expanding breadth of roles available to people in the industry. And finally, we round everything off by chatting about the amazing, now-released, sort of Picross slash murder mystery, although it's not Picross, they're nonograms, slash visual novel, crazy hybrid thing that is murder by numbers, and how Ho Yi feels about it getting into people's hands. Sorry to be another podcast talking about this, but you might have noticed that there is a world event going on that is affecting us all and we all have to stay indoors. As a result, Making Games is Fun will continue and I will still keep the Patreon, but it's changing to a monthly subscription as opposed to per creation. The reason being that I'm going to be doing things a little differently as I will be entirely at home for this period I'm going to still put out content, but in a very different way. So it might be fewer podcasts, it might be more videos. But if you head over to patreon.com forward slash MGIF, you can see how we are dealing with the current crisis and how the content will change. But it's an exciting opportunity to do new things and do different things with the channel. There's going to be streaming, there's going to be videos, hopefully. There's going to be new stuff, so get over there and see what you can do and see how things have changed. Thank you for your support so far. Feel free to adjust your subscription as you see fit. Okay, and thank you for listening and get ready for the next episode of Making Games is Fun with Ho Yi Lee. Do you know the podcast S Town? I don't. Ah, okay. Ah. So, David <laughs> is a massive podcast fan. Like, we listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh -huh. But one of the famous ones that came out a few years ago, off the back of Serial, was mm. S Town. It was a story about this guy who lived in, like, rural 
someplace in America that I can't remember. Oh, it rings but a he bell. Calls it, he, the, sorry, the protagonist or the yeah. the subject of that podcast used to call it Shit Town Alabama, I think. Oh, right. Okay. But they shortened it to S Town okay. to publish as a podcast. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and with, I don't know, maybe it's just us as Animal Crossing players, but we would always try and name our town something stupid yeah, or course. teach the villagers rude words. And so that's where S Town comes yeah. from. I see now. Now it makes sense. <laughs> Um, so how long you just started that have you Uh, well actually we did the recordings and the interviews way back in 2017 yeah Um, but because of a series of life things it took a while for David to start to cut those up but he's got a media production background he used to work for the BBC for the comedy team and so he really wanted to make it not just like two guys chatting in a room or that sort of podcast. So he's really produced it like a radio show. Oh, nice. Um, So he did all these pre-recorded interviews with the six mayors and then he's chopped up each one of those so that they are like episodes focusing on particular aspects of Animal Crossing. Oh, right. And so it's really done with a lot of love and obviously I'm biased because I'm one of the mayors, but I think it's just done with like a lot of love and a lot of research has gone into it and a lot of creativity as well. So it's not just kind of like, let's just stick some microphones in a room with some people. Oh, so it's not just chatting about Animal Crossing. Yeah, it's it's like, got this whole... So is it meant to be a, it's not just like the name from that, the concept is that coming from S-Town as well? Is, is it kind of yeah. partly like that? Is it an ongoing serial story or something? It's a mini or? series and okay. each one will focus on like, uh, one will focus on seasons, one will focus on your favourite villages, some will focus on special secrets in the game. So right. we're wrapping it up now. The idea is that it will come out, the last episode will come out uh, synchronously with uh new horizons oh nice so nice. that's that's our plan but it's been in the works for a few years now that's cool but yes we're up to episode f- five now right that's really cool all yeah. right so it's got a real like heavy concept behind it and everything yeah it's just very lovingly produced like if you think about like a radio four type of documentary it's kind of that kind of style right. but obviously there's a lot of jokes lots of references to yeah. other podcasts um there's like the ending theme tune is uh written and done as a pastiche of uh heavyweights which is another kind of big american uh big american podcast right but he's got one of our friends to write the song sing it and oh my god and so it's like a it's definitely a pastiche and not like a copy and yeah. you just rewrite the lyrics yeah it's, yeah uh it's just yeah really lovingly made and we just love the game and that's awesome yeah it's really cute that sounds really cool that sounds awesome yeah, so it's, so is animal crossing one of your sort of major games then is that one of your yeah, obsessions one of my obsessions <laughs> definitely <laughs> which, like, which is your first one? Oh, my first obsession was probably monkey island uh so my brother's quite a lot older than me and so he used to play lots of games uh on the commodore 64 yes. and <laughs> great great console console i guess so <laughs> yeah i, I guess really it was like call it well they they had them like a, the um they sold them more like computers didn't they yeah. so then you could go to your parents but you know i can do my homework on it and stuff and then they had the games that, um, oh well i remember the box that it came in is is kind of bright red and it's slapped across the front was lemmings yes so i think it was none under no impression that oh, it yeah. was for yeah. work purposes yeah 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 um but yeah my first obsession was probably watching my brother play uh monkey island and 
just thinking, oh, that's really cool. Like mm. the jokes are fun. The graphics aren't great, but they're perfectly fine. And it really did feel back in the day like it's a real open world. You could do whatever you like. So you could select yeah. any of the objects that you collect in the game and try and interact with it using a bunch of keywords. And that felt like magic. Like, yeah. how did it know that it should have had <laughs> like this thing can't interact with this? And so there must be a funny comment to to say, oh, this doesn't work. Yeah, for sure. I remember, I think there's something about like an older kid or an older sibling's games made them like a little bit more magical as well because um, my friend his older brother had uh he had the commodore as well but he had like some games that he wouldn't let us play oh really and as a result i think they're basically fine but there's like this like side scrolling fighting game called fist two <laughs> fist something um and it had like spooky music in it and stuff and like you know it was all very much like inspired by like like all the Van Damme films and stuff at the right. time and stuff. So that kind of, you know, the, the obsession with that kind of world, right? Um, and we, we had to wait till he went out and then we would sneak in his room and like play it and be like, oh, and it takes like, takes about five minutes to load up. So we had to make sure he was definitely not coming back anytime right. soon so to even get anywhere near playing it, right? And it was just like a forbidden little game in this room that we had to sneak in and play. But I think there's a slight appeal, isn't there, added when it's like someone else's game or like, all right, you can watch it play yeah. it for a bit and stuff and you're like what is this game right yeah i mean um, there was definitely one game that i knew that my brother didn't want me to see because i was his younger sister and mm. it was rude yeah so that's like i think it's called like shadow run it's like right. a action adventure game shadow run. i think it's called shadow run maybe shadow something for sure okay but there's like a sex scene in it and you burst into the room <laughs> and you shoot everyone um sounds mad uh yeah it definitely was mad but <laughs> I was like, I was furious that I wasn't allowed in the room whilst he had his friends round. And yeah. we were all kind of, my brother's quite a lot older than me, but he had a friend who's the same age as him. And then he had a younger brother who was the same age as me. And I was like, why is he allowed in? And I'm not allowed in. <laughs> and so like I bust in through the door whilst they were playing. And then there was this naughty scene and my brother was like clutching my face, like covering my eyes so that I wouldn't see. But I'd seen it all. It was yeah, too late. <laughs> it's too late. Too late. You can't, you can't stop this. That's funny, man. Um, so when was your first sort of, when when did you get to, I heard this question recently on a, I can't remember the podcast or something else, like when was your first console, your first, the one that was like, oh, this is mine now, I get to, I get to say I own this one, or at least like. My you know. very first one that I definitely, definitely owned was uh, the DS, no, the Game Boy Advance, but with the flip flip top one. Oh yes. Yes. yes yeah. With the backlight. That was that was my very first console. Yeah. Um but to be honest, like my brother being quite a bit older, therefore a bit more uh mature, did share his consoles with me quite a That's lot. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah. uh we had a SNES that we'd brought over well, a cousin of ours had brought over from Hong Kong and left it with us because he yeah. could just buy a new one when he was on in Hong Kong. Yeah. Uh but it came with this like giant adapter that goes on the top and you, it's basically a floppy disk drive <laughs> and you get these cds that basically had like all of <laughs> all the snes games that you could think of yeah, on yeah. one disc yeah, and you yeah. could then put them onto floppy disks and you just load it onto this plug-in thing on the top of the snes and so we played a lot of weird japanese games that i couldn't read because i didn't read chinese or i didn't read right japanese and so i had just had to guess what it was just work out the menus yeah from like yeah <laughs> and so that's why my brother started learning japanese actually because he wanted to uh i think he was playing 
one of the Final Fantasy games, probably Final Fantasy VI, but not in English, until we'd bought the CD-ROM that did have the English version on it. Yeah. So... Yeah, you're going to need to know. Yeah, but he can read Chinese, and so some of the characters are the same, so he could at least infer what it's meant to be even if he didn't know what the whole sentence would say oh okay yeah so you got a sense of what was going on yeah something. he's like oh this is lightning magic so yeah that's right. clearly an attack magic to at least play it yeah yeah i don't know how st- story heavy the ones were before Quite seven story heavy because once once we did get the english version i played through quite a lot of it uh and yeah it's quite story heavy there's right. like so many characters each one's their own storyline and they all come together to fight kafka and yeah yeah it's there's quite a lot of it but i think yeah. if you just enjoy the battle system and and fighting you don't need to know the story so much because there's so I much grinding so. in those kinds of games it's interesting that isn't it because obviously so much emphasis and especially on like final fantasy games or things like that are put on the story and the development you know and there's loads and loads of dialogue and this big but but it's sort of neat or, or interesting to know you can you can still just play it and not mm-hmm. know what's going on at yeah, all. for sure and be like oh, just like the battle system right that's that's mad yeah for sure like we played through as a brother and sister we definitely played through uh secret of mana games without being able to read the text oh right uh, yeah. but that's just really fun it's just an action game you can go and yeah. beat some monsters up and and then defeat some big bosses and then hooray we finished the game yeah um but some of my favourites on were just like really weird games. There was there must have been some sort of anime called Wedding Peach, right. and it was just like a collection of mini games. But you're all like little little characters all dressed in wedding dresses, and then yeah. you'd have to run a race, or then there'd be like a whack a mole mini game. Um, <laughs> but I really like those kind of like collections of little weird things. I had no idea what the anime was, but it was called Wedding Peach in English. Wedding Peach, um, nice. I also really liked uh, Wrestling Queens which is oh. a really great like wrestling game but all the characters were uh female wrestlers from japanese wrestling league or something oh like real ones or yeah or real ones oh, like they had cool. like the little kind of picture portraits and their oh, names cool. all in japanese so i didn't know who anyone was that's uh, cool but that was a really fun wrestling game that sounds awesome yeah i'm into wrestling <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, i need to look that up and be like oh, that's cool who's that who's that like working out who everyone is that's awesome yeah you should check it out it's wrestling queens bonkers fun <laughs> we spent a lot of hours playing that yeah and this is all on this like cd of like stuff right? yeah yeah just absolutely discovering. that's so cool like a little treasure trove of like what, what was next oh, i don't know like, what this is let's just load yeah. it on a disc and find out just do it let's see what happens yeah. right that is really awesome so how many were how many of the were you growing up in in one household playing games together? And Just stuff? me and my brother. You and your brother, yeah. Yeah, we had like um lots of local friends who would come around and play games. <coughs> right. Um, so there's like a little Chinese community in the West Sussex kind of area, and of yeah. course there's only a handful of us, so we all know each other. Uh-huh. Uh We just so happen to have lots of friends who are roughly the same age as us, and so whilst our parents would hold like dinner parties to hang out with yeah. the adults, like we'd all like just me and my brother would definitely pack up like the n64 or the yeah. snares and we just take it to the party with the multi multi adapters <sighs> and it's just really really fun like we had like one special bag that we knew could fit the n64 plus the four controllers and all <laughs> our games and you just put the lid over the top of this yeah. bag and that would be our we're going to a party bag yeah oh that's so cool oh my nostalgia hurts <laughs> just so good right just that that whole having that little close-knit community of people and mates who just play in games together and when you meet up you know you're gonna just get a few games run in and it's just so nice yeah and again you know that's 
well, it's not gone, but it's different. It is really different. Like I still play a lot of like multiplayer games with friends online. Yeah. And it's a really great way for me to catch up with friends who live further away, yeah. get to know them better. Uh, but also friends that I'd really like to see more often, but we're kind of busy people with working lives. Yeah. It's nice to just catch up in the evening and play some Overwatch whilst catching up on what's happened in each other's lives. Definitely. But it's not quite the same as like getting into a room and you're all screeching with laughter as someone's, you know, if we're playing Bomberman and we've blown each other up and yeah. you're screeching whilst you're trying <laughs> yeah. to get away. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not quite the same experience, I think. Yeah, it's funny. They all kind of appear in different ways now like you've got three different like multiplayer sort of experiences i can think of and one is um as you say and they all have their uses like we've just started me and friends who live farther away and all of kids and no time i <laughs> <laughs> started we went back onto grand theft auto oh did you the okay. online because what's good about that is i mean i love and i really love uh fighting games i love playing first-person shooters competitive ones like a multiplayer you know but you don't the problem with something like overwatch for me is like you'll be chatting but then you'll get like sometimes i'll be like guys shut up a minute like <laughs> i need to tell you what's coming up we need to like plan here or you know there's a diva there you know so like you have to sort of interrupt or then you start getting like oh stop stop being stupid we're losing you know there's there's a risk of being like that what we found in gta is that you can like all just sit in a car and drive around and chat nonsense and or go in like those stupid virtual flats and like you know my my friend who's completely straight edge will just be stood there like doing the bong like 40 <laughs> times you're dressed ridiculously and stuff you know just like, sean you don't <laughs> you don't smoke and drink or do drugs or anything what are you doing over there so i want some wine you want some wine <laughs> <laughs> just like messing about and there's loads of like little mini games in it now and stuff oh like, nice um like a weird pilot wings like you you drive a car off a ramp and then you have to land it on a target in the oh middle yeah and, yeah i've seen those yeah and and you can like knock each other off and you just split into groups of two and you just chat because the like the rounds are quite short mm-hmm. and you can chat in between it and it's quite neat and there's that and then there's like um because i'm a massive fighting game idiot <laughs> fan nut um and when i can they go the, there's one in it's either in Capcom's offices or it's in the Red Bull Gaming Sphere Ooh. in uh, in um, Jordich. And you go there and just play and there's a little tournament and you get absolutely battered because like the best UK players go as well. And so at some point, even if you get through the first round, like, oh, I'm up against like Problem X who won Evo last oh, year. I'm like, oh, great, cool. All right, mate, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good games, bye. Um, but it's just fun just to bring everyone together and do that because that's something that's lost, like arcades and things like that. And yeah. Having that. Um, and the only other, the other one I thought was uh, Wild Rumpus. Oh, I love Wild Rumpus. Yeah. I've only been once, uh, but it was really great. So we went with some high school club friends and uh, it's just really nice to kind of like be... <clears throat> touching elbows with someone else whilst you're screeching in their yes. face about like get out of my face whilst you're playing nidhogg or something yeah uh that was really great really really enjoyed it but we're trying to bring some of that back with high school club yeah. so the high school club is really about 
playing good games with good people so we're a very kind of like wholesome kind of crew sure there's a lot of blue jokes when we're streaming but uh but the whole idea of it is that like we play games in a relaxed kind of environment it's not the same as like a competitive arena where people get quite hyped up and feels mm. very high stakes we try and tone that down a bit so that it's a bit more welcoming to people who don't yeah. usually play fighting games or yeah. so we we're running a smash tournament very soon in fact on this saturday uh but we're doing the kind of like 1v1 hardcore smash tournament with the kind of veteran players but we're doing weenie hut junior as well which is going to be after the tournament and that's for anyone to play it's going to be 4v4 with all of the, <laughs> all the items. Weenie Hut Junior. Weenie Hut Junior. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Okay. So, but that's because like someone was teasing us that we're like, there's like the elite players. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, I'm very happy to be part of the Weenie Hut Juniors. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to have some fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's important as well. I think um, you, we see these things cropping up because it's people. Well, it's not just people. It's people a bit older, our age sort of yeah. thing who miss. <laughs> That as what we were just talking about, miss that sort of community of all the friends coming around and you getting the N sixty four out and play. You want to sort of recreate an element of that, or not recreate it, but repurpose it for what makes sense for the lives of people in their thirties who yeah. still love games, right? And and something like that really works because you just want to create that sense of fun, that sort of rowdiness, and 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 it's a good social uh, space where you can use games as the icebreaker and just get everyone together and and that's really nice actually yeah it's been really super nice like we've got players from the us for instance and now we mm. keep regular contact with them like they happen to be like a bunch of google doodlers so they make yeah. the google doodles on the front page oh really <laughs> uh but they happen to have like a quite an active splatoon group amongst oh, their right. colleagues and so we invited them to come and play uh, in our split tournaments and like it just so happens that they are incredible players they are <laughs> lethal um but it's been really good getting to know them like we've yeah. never met in person but we know them through friends of friends and it's been really great having them back and having like this kind of like camaraderie and history with them even though we've never met in person and that's that's super cool yeah definitely you need that and and, and there's the two yeah, you need that, as we're saying, that space where everyone can play and have a competitive bit of fun, but without it having to be like the esports side of thing, yeah. right? You've, you've not dedicated your life to it. You're not, you're not turning up in like a sponsored tracksuit and <laughs> frowning a lot. And, you know, like it, you can, there's a space for not that. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> that's needed, you yeah. know. Yeah, we'd love playing like uh, Overwatch competitive, but definitely there's an element of you're letting the team down if you are just having a nice chat whilst you're playing. Yeah. And so we, yeah, we try and keep it light. And uh, our Overwatch team is called uh, Please Try Hard because one time, obviously, we were distracted chatting to each other and someone messaged through PSN and said, please try hard. Yeah. <laughs> I only considered this as a career maybe in the past couple of years and only made it into games in the past six months right, right i've only wow, been at mediatonic me. for six months so this is your first uh my first game games job yeah so let's talk let's let's roll back let's talk about the journey well so <laughs> even though my very own brother uh 
got into games pretty much as soon as he left university like he took six months off to play computer games at home whilst my mum would wash his clothes and cook for him um but then as soon as he decided to look for a job uh we're in west sussex so it was very easy for him to apply for jobs in the kind of horsham area and ended up at at creative assembly but all of that time whilst my brother was working there i went to university graduated i didn't think i have any didn't think i had any skills to contribute to the games industry at all so i knew that i was fairly academic like i did an engineering degree but what i found most interesting whilst i was at university was helping to run some clubs um and i knew i had organizational skills i was pretty good at talking to people uh but it was then when i well i did a series of other jobs for a while right so i did like six years in events management then I did one year as a revenue analyst because I thought I was wasting my engineering skills. <sighs> yeah. uh, and then I was like, no, I hate this. Uh, <laughs> and then went into working for a digital agency because all that time I'd always been interested in technology as a way for people to create experiences. And so I ended up kind of taking my events knowledge and d- being able to help people design conferences and that sort of thing and put it into more a digital side of things because... I was interested in games, therefore interested in technology. Uh, But all the time that I was working in this digital agency, I would see people make these amazing digital experiences in very short amounts of time, always wanting to kind of emulate games or taking inspiration from games, but never actually being games. Uh, But it was only then that I was kind of a bit more familiar with my own skills or confident in my own skills and knowing what they are and then knowing how that might apply in other industries. So I'd always kind of follow the path that I was familiar with until I was like, hey, I can organize people. I know how to put a budget together. I know how to motivate teams and solve problems and make sure they're unblocked from whatever they're doing. Mm. A game is just a piece of software as well. So there are parallels there. Hey, maybe I should apply my skills in an industry that I care about and that I'm passionate about. And so that's how I ended up here. But I wouldn't have been able to do that if I hadn't known one of the other producers here at Mediatonic who then put my application forward for one of the jobs and made a personal recommendation and then they took a chance on someone that didn't have industry experience. Right. That's interesting. Because I was going to I was going to go on to ask you, like, um, did you find it e- you know easy or difficult to get into the industry? But it's really hard. Yeah. So up until that point, I did apart from. Had you been sorry? Had you been trying before that, or or considering it? Only again, like only in the past few years, right when I was starting to think maybe I want to change careers or maybe it's time to move on from where I was working. Yeah. I'd always thought, oh, I guess I'll go continue down the agency route because uh-huh. digital agencies was what I knew. Um, Did it feel viable? Did you think, oh, I could, that could work? Or it was it. I did feel like it could work, and I felt like I had the skills to contribute, but many many people won't give you a chance unless you've got industry experience or you have some sort of background or you go into a very junior role and i'd already been working like 10 years at that point yeah so you'd know where you wanted to go essentially not start again but well basically yeah basically start again it was a very because you know having a mortgage yeah i've got like financial responsibilities i can't necessarily just decide to take like a 15k pay cut in order to start as a junior so It was a very tough time and I'd almost given up on the idea of working in the games industry. Uh, But it just so happened that Anthony had left the games industry thinking I need a change. 
worked at my digital agency as like a VR production director. Yeah. Uh, and found that he didn't like it as much as he liked games and went back to games. <laughs> but we got to know each other in that time. Like he sat behind me. We'd talk about games. Yeah. We'd uh, you know, talk about food because that's one of our shared passions as well. Um, but it was only because of that connection that we'd made that I would get into the games industry. I really felt like it was a very difficult path to get in without prior experience other than that. I guess um, without obvious bias uh in mind do you do you think it's important to bring people from outside the games industry we've got an industry chat now um <clears throat> who might might not necessarily have previous direct industry experience but have an interest or something else to bring um in order to make better games different games i think it's definitely important such to a bring... leading question <laughs> <laughs> of course i was going to say yes when you feel like no actually <laughs> no no just pure games people who went to university to study game design uh software engineers who knew they wanted to make games only those people yeah. no one else um <laughs> uh obviously tongue-in-cheek um yeah. it's really important to bring people in with other experience right so uh, when I was a revenue analyst, for instance, I could see that people would join that industry and even the same companies and never leave. Mm. And as someone fresh coming in, I had a completely different perspective and they couldn't see it because they were they hadn't had other experiences. And I think whilst it was especially important in that industry when I was there, I now have that knowledge that having a difference of opinion, having seen different ways of working is really important so that you can continue innovating and continue uh just improving your own practices right there's lots yeah. to learn from other industries yeah um but the things that you might learn from other industries are things that you don't want to do in your own industry or your own yeah. projects right so yeah it's definitely important because then sure. you can't see the differences and if you can't see the differences you don't know to look for ways to improve those things yeah and i think i think the places where the opportunities will arise seem to be uh indie play indie indie companies and places like mediatonic and which are sort of those bigger kind of top end scale of the indie company that we have now like yeah um, i do a lot of work with us two games mm -hmm. as well and they're, they're that sort of like bigger indie they're still quite small i think there's 14 of them mm -hmm. i think and they just kind of came from an out sort of branching out from us too which are they're more of like a tech they're a digital agency a digital as well agency, yeah, yeah. so that that was up. where i made the connection actually i was like well hey yeah us too has a agency arm and they have a games arm yeah that must have come from somewhere yes. Hey, maybe there's a connection there maybe that's the way that i can get in yeah it's interesting i think they they had a little go in house like back you know initially and, and recruited a, a couple of people with games knowledge and then they sort of went uh, we we sort of know what we're doing but we need something a bit more and, and yeah and it just kind of grew out of that but it's that thing where you just you bringing in people with different skills and 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 i think the knowledge or, or raising that awareness that a game isn't just made by a coder and an artist now there's so many other roles that need filling that are really important yeah just as you know to, to actually get a game to completion to raise the awareness of it to get mm -hmm. it out there to make sure it makes money so you can pay your staff yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah it's such a, a bigger consideration now so that people who 
you don't have to as we were saying at the start like if you can if you're getting stuck on the first <laughs> logic tutorial in dreams that doesn't necessarily mean there's not a place for you in games right so yeah. you, don't, you don't have to know that stuff necessarily it's, i mean it's really interesting right it's a grown-up business it's a grown-up industry now it's not just people sitting in their bedrooms coding and it can, it can still be that mm. but this is a serious business as well and so you have all of those different roles in a business that makes the company run and mm. you still need those people and it just so happens that we're really lucky that it's an industry that people can get passionate about yeah. so you can get people who will be doing nothing directly relating to game development but will still know what you're on about know your references know what you're trying to do with your game and can help shape the business to best do that yeah. so whether that's an accountant's role or a legal role or just us lowly people in production <laughs> right like you need people who know how to put schedule together yeah i mean if you think about it there's a lot of people who are very passionate but passion often comes together with uh wanting things to be perfect mm. very very perfect and mm. so if you were to leave an artist or a coder to uh to like noodle around and get it precisely perfect working precisely the way they want it if you didn't give them any boundaries they could be working on that thing for way longer than you can afford and so that's why production is important and that's where i was like hey i've got those skills i know how to say we really need to get it done by here what do you need to get it done by then yeah let me know what i can do to help you and and make sure people can meet those targets like that's that's my skill and i was really yeah, it took me a long time to identify that that's a useful skill in the games industry as well. Yeah, because it's just not really spoken about that kind of thing, is it? It's not very glamorous. No. <laughs> it's not very glamorous to be able to say, oh, yes, I worked on this game and uh, I produced the budget for it and I yeah. made sure that we were staying on budget and I made sure people met deadlines. So it's not a very glamorous <laughs> thing yeah. to say. Like, it's not the same as saying, oh, yes, this level, I created it. Yeah, or exactly. this is my story that we're telling and I created these characters. But you'd be like, but you see the game you're playing now, it wouldn't be in your hands if it wasn't. <laughs> it wouldn't be in your hands team, right now. Right? Okay, <laughs> yeah. so it wouldn't. It'd be old exist, but it'd be somewhere on a shelf. It never came out because it wasn't budgeted and scheduled properly. All right, so it's important. Damn it, it is important. <laughs> it's unglamorous but important. <laughs> um, so let's talk about. So this is the first game you've worked on. Yeah. What's the experience been like? I mean, what was it? What did it feel like coming in first day? And just getting settled in and oh, what's so that like? Coming here and starting the job, I think as a office experience, let's just say like about uh -huh. working was amazing. It was, people were super friendly. Uh, they had already heard what project I was going to be working on. And people were coming up to me and saying, oh, you're going to be working on a great project. We're really excited about it. You're going to have such a great time. Uh, and knowing that I wasn't like, the only geeky person in the office anymore like when I was working in a digital agency everyone is super cool like trendy haircuts trendy clothes yeah. uh talking about lots of references to things that I had no idea about and I was like oh but do you know like this game from the 90s it's called uh Sailor Moon <laughs> and it was and like people would be like um no I don't uh and they quickly move on and coming to an office here where like people get those references and I was like oh I played this really obscure fight side scrolling fighting game uh but it was based on the Sailor Moon series and it was great and they'd be like oh yes I've heard about that oh I watched some YouTube videos yeah. about it and suddenly like you've got this whole range of things that you can talk to yeah. people about and that was really great uh but I was confident about coming in to do the work like I knew that I could run a team and I knew that I could 
make sure that things happened so from that perspective it was a really good feeling to know that you're coming into something that you are you had loads to learn from but you're confident that you could at least like pick up the pick up the knowledge that you might need uh, and also coming into an environment where people got you i think that was really great yeah for sure and it's so how, so how long have you worked on it uh on so the, i joined murder my numbers, murder my numbers uh, when they were basically rough wrapping up their writing so i joined in uh late july last year and i've been there since right so you had something to look at and and, and see what it was about what as soon as you got here on the step yeah so uh, they'd already had the concept they hadn't set like a, a announcement date or when it was going to be published they were just they'd finished writing and producing case one pretty much out right. of four um, so they had something to show people. They had something to show Nintendo. Uh, and so from that perspective, it was like almost fully formed. But what they were missing and why they hired an extra producer was to make sure that it was actually going to finish and that they were actually going to be able to publish the game. Yeah. So what was your, what's your day-to-day been like then? Would you say like a typical a typical day? Or is there a typical day? Um. Yeah, there's there's typical days. There's a lot of meetings as a producer, sure. right? So yeah. uh, you will be running stand-ups and like we're a super goofy team like because it's compared to the other teams in the office which has like 20, 30, 40 people on it. Yeah. Our team for Murder by Numbers is four full-time staff, including me. So before then, they only have three full-time staff on, on the project. Um, but a typical day would be just kind of checking in to see what uh, critical things need to be done that day. So it might be that there are publisher needs. Maybe uh, we were really lucky to participate in a Nintendo Indies world. Mm. So it might be that suddenly Nintendo are like, oh yes, we need a 30 second trailer for your game uh, and we need it f- by Friday. Yeah, um, yeah, I've seen that happen. <laughs> <laughs> which is like uh, not very comfortable, let's just put it that way. Do you tend they do tend to the big the big places do tend to spring it on on you don't they that's yeah. what i've seen like going around uh, embedding with different places they'll <laughs> just be like uh someone just sort of burst in the room like right uh we need a trailer by the end of the week can we do and it i was like what <laughs> okay yeah. right i'm on it and then someone sit down like ah. uh, yeah so my job there would be to go right what does the trailer need to look like what are the requirements for it what do we need to put ratings on it uh and all of that, I just need to kind of organize that and make sure that the right people have the right resources to make what they need to make. Yeah. Um, so as a producer, I might not get stuck in with actual production. Like I don't ever need to code. I don't ever need to produce art. But I'm I'm there to help unblock their whatever they need to work on. Like let the people with the hard skills be able to do their job the best that they can so my job would be talking to people making sure that they've got everything they need if they don't i will go around and steal resource from other people to make sure that we get what we need done has there been any sort of deep end stuff when you're coming in like this in, into games like right in the middle of a project that's sort of like got momentum already and, and as you say things like that might happen one week like has there been stuff aside from like the transferable transferable skills as they say is oh, the yeah. stuff where you're like <laughs> i need to learn this now <laughs> i'd never even though as a digital producer i'd never touched anything like git before which right, is yeah. like uh where the code base is stored and how you work on that code base without interrupting other people's work or causing things that will break the game mm. 
never had to touch any of that before because my coders, I would have a tech lead who would deal with all of that. All I needed to make sure was that I got the end product and I delivered it to clients, right? Yeah. Uh, so that was, I, there was several occasions where I might have had to go, Liz, I think I've broken it. Um, <laughs> I may have merged something directly into master and I'm sorry, I don't know how to undo it. Um, oh. But yeah, that was yeah. kind of butt clenching, I would say. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what I've done. I don't know what's changed, but there's like a whole load of conflicts and I'm fairly certain I didn't touch that file, but it says that I did. And I don't know how that happened. My colleague Ed, who's the creative director for the game, he's, Ed Fear, right? Ed Fear, yes, yeah. exactly. He's going to be doing a talk soon, I think, for Develop, which will talk about kind of diversity. Oh, it cool. just so happens that our team is quite diverse. Like half of our team full time are women, all two of us out of four. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, well, to be fair, there's also uh, Ria, who's our puzzle designer, and. Uh, from that perspective, you know, we've got people from all spectrums, like we've got different ethnic diversity in the team as well with different voices who can talk about kind of the creation of the gay character in our game, KC, uh, and uh, other characters in the game as well. Like he, uh, Ed was very good at testing that with his own crowd to say, hey, I've written a gay character. Can you give me some feedback? Mm. Let me know how how he's coming across. And yeah. he got some feedback from that to, to then improve the character and make him more believable or or less like all a gay character yes but ed can talk more about that and if you're able to sure. see some of his talks he'll be able to talk about that in a bit more detail yeah that's awesome let's go on to the game as a whole mm. then so it's uh like a phoenix right visual novel with picross style uh, or um pixel puzzle uh mini puzzles in the middle to sort of to solve uh, to progress the story basically yeah. or to pick up clues and that kind of thing so yeah it's the story of Scout who is a cute little robot he has lost his memory he finds himself waking up in a rubbish dump he's lost some of his memory and he goes to look for help uh, and he crosses paths with Honor who is our other main character she's a TV actress playing a detective in a TV show uh, and she gets embroiled in, uh, well, she's suspected of murder. But their paths cross. Uh, he can help her try and get out of her fix, being embroiled in this uh, in this crime. And she can help him find who his owner is and where his origins are. Right. But the idea is that he's lost part of his visual memory. So he can identify objects. And you use the pixel puzzles to help him solve what they are. But they also happen to be useful objects in the detective murder mystery part of the game so it becomes evidence that you can then use to question people and uh to help you figure out what's going on with the with the story yeah so you present them as uh, as evidence yeah like as, right. as a part of a so so it's got that does it have that kind of phoenix right courtroom element or how does not that play quite out? it's definitely much more like a murder mystery story so you're following the main character as she's embroiled in in a crime and then her journey afterwards there's there's stuff that i can tell you that i think would spoil the story slightly oh, yeah, no, but uh <laughs> definitely it's more like a puzzle game with 
the story kind of interconnecting those puzzles. So I, I'm sure you've played Picross puzzles before, mm. but these, well, we call them nonograms because obviously yes. uh, yeah, yeah. Jupiter owns Picross <laughs> and we yeah. are not making Picross games. <laughs> no, let's be clear here. <laughs> yes, we're making nonogram puzzles. Um, but yes, it, it's definitely the the narrative part of the game is to connect those puzzles and give them some meaning rather than just kind of completing a puzzle and go, Ooh, a cabbage. Yes. Great. Uh, there's some, there's some purpose to solving the puzzles now. Yeah. You can take that forward with that's really neat actually. Yeah. So it links into what the rest of yeah solving the, the greater puzzle of the mystery actually. That's really neat. Yeah. What, what kind of challenges of the team faced in terms of, um, coming up with like as you say like making those things link and and what's been difficult for them like in terms of making it cohesive and and you know were the were the times where it's like ah how are we gonna make this work (laughs) um we are working with a really talented writer murray and he is he wrote the story essentially but they split up the actual kind of implementation of the story between ed and murray themselves so they took on two cases each and then they would feed back on each other's cases um but that's been really great because you get different perspectives again like we can test it amongst our own team to just kind of see does this character feel right do their motivations feel real do uh, is there anything that seems like it's just come out of the blue from nowhere and you Mm. couldn't have foreseen it for instance um but i guess like the biggest challenge really is from a production standpoint is that Ed's time is quite precious. Like he owns the creative vision for the game, but he was also doing the implementation. Like like I was saying before, we only had a full-time team of four people. So it meant that if he was busy reviewing a story, that meant that he wasn't implementing one of the other cases and literally putting the story into the game with the dialogue, setting up the characters, their poses, linking to which puzzles it should be. And of course, if he's reviewing the story, he's also not reviewing the puzzles that Rhea has created, Mm. meaning that their puzzles weren't being reviewed, being fed back on, which meant that they couldn't go into the game. Like definitely from from our perspective like that's the biggest challenge is is splitting up people's time and Rhea uh, works on other puzzle games as well in the company which meant that we were borrowing her time so if she wasn't getting feedback that meant that she couldn't continue creating the puzzles yeah which meant that as our time we might have borrowed her for a month for instance yeah we would have to give her back at the end of that month like (laughs) whether we (laughs) yeah whether we'd created those finished our lot of puzzles or not we would have to give her back oh man yeah that's quite yeah that's something right and then just was it i guess if she's creating other puzzle games at the same time it might have been useful in the sense that she would be able to bring ideas or or you know solutions she'd found whilst making those and sort of apply it to yeah numbers as well or it's quite interesting i mean we've got loads of game designers in the company right but they don't all have the same puzzle making skills so they'll be familiar with other types of puzzles but they might not be familiar with nonogram puzzles for instance and in which case also if they can't make pixel art if even if you made a puzzle that was perfectly fun to solve you're not bringing a picture up at the end and so it's a very kind of like an alignment of skills that that meant that Rear was the one to make our puzzles like we had other puzzle designers try and help out because they but because they've never played pixel puzzles before 
they didn't really get what might be fun about it and it took them a long time to ramp up and by the time they ramped up they might have then needed to go on another project yeah so that was quite difficult like managing time and kind of like persuading cajoling bullying other people to give up their puzzle designers um was a real challenge um especially then at the point that i had joined for a few months we were getting to the point where the team had been working on the game for like more than a year and we'd never said anything to the public about it even existing yet right and then there was starting to be some frustrations there that like all of their hard work they're still noodling away at the game but no one knows about it yet when do we even want to finish this and so part of my job was to come in and put some deadlines in place and say okay if we think that we're going to finish at this point that means that we're going to release in 2020 early 2020 are we committing to that and then oh yeah and then at that point do we then commit to it and and start working towards it and what happens then if things overrun which things will naturally do and so again it's just about motivating the team knowing that they've got something to work towards and that there's going to be definitely an end to it and that people can start hearing about the game and that the game is actually going to be published do you think it makes a difference in the team when they do have that deadline? Let's say the shift from thinking, well, how long are we working this, on this for? To, right, here's, here's the release date. Uh, people actually, the public actually know about it now. Um, does, does it change attitudes? Does it change Yeah, definitely. Motivation? Definitely changes attitudes and motivations. Because I think before the game was announced, there was a bit of kind of like resentment. Resentment isn't quite the right word, but kind of like that itch to be able to tell people about what you're working on rather than keeping it a big secret, especially when they've been keeping that secret for a year already. Um, and so at that point, they they thought they had time to polish. They thought that they, they could just kind of like take more time over it and it doesn't matter if they met deadlines or not because they haven't set a release date yet. So it went from that kind of stress, which is like partially kind of like itching to tell people about it and then suddenly, once we selected an announcement date, suddenly the thought is, oh shit, I've got to, I've got to finish this game. We've yeah. not started testing yet. We've not done localization. Uh, and then from that point forward, it was a different kind of stress. Like the stress was kind of like, okay, I've got to get this finished. Is it going to be in a state where I'm happy for it to go out to public? And writing is always the biggest unknown in a creative well not necessarily writing but when you're working on a story like you want time to be able to mull it over review it and in terms of the production like when as soon as you put a deadline on it it's not as if like you've got it's not like making something where you've got like all right i've got to make 10 chairs well i finished five and that took me x amount of time making the other five is going to take x amount of time get people to come in and sit on the chairs and tell them does it feel like a chair yeah exactly <laughs> like, right yeah. uh, and so with writing it's much more nuanced and you can take time over it and you don't know how long it's going to take for someone to have an idea about how to solve a particular narrative problem because that just requires sitting down and thinking it's not like oh i need to put 10 units of thinking in and then yeah, i yeah. will have a solution yeah so that was the biggest unknown and the, I think the biggest stress for our creative team at least. Yeah, it's difficult to manage that both um, for the person writing the story or, or doing something creative in that sense and for 
everyone who works with them because you know if they sort of what are you doing if they kind of just sat down you know i'm, I'm working well, I'm, yeah. trying to, I'm trying to think of the solution but it might they might just be like sat with loads of you know various inspiration around them and other stories or other sources of material that are looking through and yeah. stuff and, and like <laughs> it's all i think it's always the um the problem is that we'd be like no i am working and yeah. i'm looking at like five things on youtube but it's that's but, it's to bring my brain to a different yeah place that's and, that's the materials yeah, 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 to make yeah. the idea chair right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. the idea chair love yeah. it feeling inside um, about your first chomping release. at the bit yeah like i can't wait yeah like i you know like i was saying like i've got friends who work in the games industry and like previous to working here uh and my brother himself works in games and you know being on the total war team like he's got like mm. lined up trophies on his shelf <laughs> that about kind of how many games he's sold oh this one sold a, th a million units already and i'm like oh okay that's really cool uh, and so i yeah. can't wait to go look your younger sister yeah. she's done it too she's made a game look at this um so yeah i can't wait i'm i'm really excited i'm confident that the game's really good um like it was bonkers when i was told i was going to be working on this game because i thought i was going to be working on full guys when, right. when I first started because they'd they'd given me a hint oh we might put you on this project and uh -huh. I think that's the one that needs most help but by the time I'd actually arrived they're like so uh we're not going to be putting you on full guys and like inside I was a little bit like oh I really <laughs> wanted to work on that but okay I'm ready for whatever challenge you're going to throw in front of me and they're like well we hope you like puzzle games and I thought oh I'm probably going to be working on one of the match three games that's been done in the office and they're like, uh, so this game is, uh, it's called Murder by Numbers. It's a murder mystery. And immediately like something, <laughs> a, a checkbox was ticked in my brain. And then they're like, oh yes. And it's, it's combining a visual novel uh, game, another checkbox in my brain. Uh, and we're mixing it with these nonogram puzzles, another checkbox. And it's like, ding, ding, ding. Uh, you've won the jackpot type thing <laughs> and the team are great really fun to work with and they've put so much love into the game like we have Liz who is our lead coder with Louie who supports her on coding they're a great team great problem solving team um, I've talked about Murray and Ed like they're a dream to work with as well and then we have our UI artist Ailish like we immediately like laid eyes on her I knew we'd be friends because I think she was uh just like her style i was like yes i'm into this yeah. uh, but then we started chatting and it turns out she's a massive fan of um adventure time and i'm a big fan of adventure time nice. and just like everything was all coming together and it's all great <laughs> and i just can't wait like as a producer the one of the reasons why i love it is that i i love seeing other people doing their best at their own work and their creative exploits and i can't wait to put it out there and go i worked with this brilliant amazing talented team and i want everyone to love the game as much as i do and so i just can't wait can't wait for people to see it and hope they love it <laughs>